the RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com. And a very good afternoon. You're very welcome along to this week's RTE Rugby Podcast. Neil Tracy here with you alongside Eddie O'Sullivan and Fiona Hayes. Lot to get through women's Six Nations as well as two big Heineken Champions Cup quarterfinals coming up this weekend. Munster up against Toulouse on Saturday afternoon and that's followed by Leicester against the, uh, the Leicester Tigers against Leinster. Winner of those two games playing each other in the last four. So potentially an all-Irish semi-final on the cards. We'll get straight into it, Fiona, with the women's Six Nations and Ireland finishing off their campaign, getting their second win in uh, dramatic enough circumstances, it has to be said. Enya Breen's try in the last pretty about 82, 83 minutes on the clock at uh, Kingspan Stadium in Belfast and her conversion to follow it up as well, giving Ireland a, a badly needed win, I would say, all things considered. Yeah, badly needed win, but you know what? They finished off the tournament in, in style. Um, I thought the rugby and the heart they showed in the last 20 minutes, especially in the game, you know, um, obviously the conditions weren't great up in Ulster. It was, a bit, uh, it was a bit wet, so we saw kind of a lot of errors earlier on in the game. But I think this team in the past, and especially in the qualifiers, they were losing those games, Neil. They, you know, they weren't, they weren't battling through. They weren't getting to the finish. And I think we saw, you know, there was a lot of talk about players gone away and, and you know, squad rotation and stuff like that. And I think they showed that, um, you know, the heart and the dedication. They had a few new players in there. And I, and it, overall, I thought it was perfect way to end the tournament for them because obviously it didn't start well. But as we got throughout after the England game, a bit disappointed, but they knew that that was going to be. And this Scottish game was a really big win for them. And they were just absolutely delighted. And and to be fair, they, the crowd went wild up in Belfast. I was up there myself. Yeah. And Eddie, like I have to admit, Eddie, I was a little bit surprised they ended up getting it because throughout those last 10 minutes, they had had a handful of shots and they kept trying to take those shots and they just kept falling up short and it just did feel like it was one of those evenings where it just was not going to fall their way they weren't going to get that that rub of the green they needed but in fairness persistence pays they stuck at the task and they got the reward yeah I mean there was a couple of game changing moments I think the block down of the kick which got them into field position you know and then um poach at a rock and stuff, you know, like there's moments in a tight game like that and the conditions were woeful, so it was never going to be pretty. Um, so Kay's not interested to dig in, like, and hang in there and, you know, if you get a chance, take it. And you're right, yeah, the things started to be slipping away from, but you've just got to be persistent. I think they got into position near the end and they just kept going forward. And, you know, it was, it was a great way to finish for them, I think. Um, you know, I, I think that they lost on... on, on, on uh, and the weekend, it would have really been a another good punch to them, you know. I mean, they were good enough to win it. Um, but I think the importance of that win is good. Now, you know, again, let's be realistic. You have to keep it in context. Um, it's not a complete game changer for the women's team. And had they lost, it wouldn't be a complete game changer either. You know, it was a good result. It's a great way to finish the championship with a win. Especially when you dig it out at the very end. It'll be a great feel-good factor for them. Um, and they'll take that energy into the summer tour, which is really important in Japan. Um, but, you know, it doesn't solve all the challenges women's rugby face, you know, and delighted and all as we were for the team. And there's great goodwill towards the women's team, you know. There was huge, uh, huge uh, joy at the, at the fact they won the game. Uh, but it's still a long road to travel. And, but, uh, you know, it was great for them to finish on a high as I say, like it's all, especially a, a Six Nations game, it's kind of drawn a line under the season in some ways. And finished that with a really good win. You dig it out at the end. You still have um, 
determination. But to be fair to this women's team, I watched them through the championship. They've never lacked in that kind of commitment, you know, in their, their throwing their bodies on the line all the time. They do that. I, I don't think that's an issue at all. And I did never see a point where they kind of, uh, you would say, oh, they fell off. You know, they just got overpowered against England. You know, and that's the reality of life in the game. It's a physical game. And you can put up like you, you can put up for 40 or 50 minutes what they did against England, but then after a while you get you get run over. So I think this team has never come up short in terms of their commitment. Um, but they have other challenges is that you know they are going to have to play teams that are more physical than them and teams that are more skillful than them. That's a massive challenge. But I think look, the context of it, it's fantastic they got the results, but to keep that in context in terms of it's not going to change the trajectory too much. It gives them a good platform going to the summer. Uh, and that's something to build on. And the summer tour will be interesting in Japan, that's for sure. Yeah, Fiona, like as Eddie mentioned, there's a lot of challenges to overcome. And I think an enormous amount of those challenges are big picture challenges. They're, you know, they're big issues. But if we're talking about the the minor parts of the game, the actual like on the field issues they need to sort out. What were what were the things you were impressed with that they've kind of seemed to have learned a lot from in this campaign? And, and what are the things going forward that they do need to actually work on? And I'm talking on the field issues rather than the big picture stuff, which we've spoken at length about. Yeah, I think, um, you know, on field stuff, um, I'll start with, I, I really liked the defence, even though they lost uh, against Wales, I thought the system they played, I thought the line speed they brought at times was really good. I mean, that can be improved with fitness and obviously, you know, that's outside stuff going forward. But I, I thought the system's in place. I liked it. Um, kicking game was really, really good for me this year, um, especially early on in the championship where we had Nicole and Stacey Flood, both um, you had options there at 10 and 12 and we saw Enya Breen come to life in that final game with her kicking game I think in general in women's rugby um say previously we haven't utilized that kicking game enough um I think the the 50 22 rule or law that is coming to place is is good it makes it challenges teams it makes us try new things and I thought Ireland really gave that a blast you could see um the only issue is I would imagine they practice a lot of stuff around the area of set piece and maybe trying to get that kicking game going off set piece. That was the area that I, that kind of disappointed me at times. It didn't function. Um, I thought all three front rowers in general were amazing and immense around the pitch. Neve Jones getting player of the game in the last match. She was absolutely everywhere putting in hits. Linda Jugang was the same. She was everywhere, but it's just an area this team need to tackle. They need to look at height, um, sustaining pressure, how they deal with bigger packs than them. Um, so obviously they've gone through all technical details and, you know, you're not going to win every scrum, but you need to be able to hold on to your own ball. You need to you need to be secure on that. You need to go into games going, okay, we'll, we'll definitely get, it might be a quick strike, it might be whatever, but we'll definitely get ball off our own scrum. And our lineup was another area that kind of didn't function at times. Um, I think we'd about um, four to five different lineouts in, in, in the first three games inside the 10 metre channel. Um, outside of the opposition's try line and there was whether it be overthrows or, or mix up in calls or whatever you need to nail those going into those big games and they're all very fixable so they're they're areas that I definitely focus going forward so be it we we saw Greg's style we saw what he liked to, to bring I, you know we saw the attack he, he varies things up he likes different playmakers there's good interlinking between backs and forwards but we'd see a lot more of that if they could nail down that set piece and get it secure going forward 
Yeah, the set piece is that a was that a big issue during the during the tournament for Ireland? Yeah, I think they they need to scrummage against the bigger teams with a view to getting the ball in and order to scrum a lot quicker. You know, they need to work on the, the channel strike. The strike is not important anymore because you can throw the ball in crooked once it comes up their foot, but they may need to review they may need, may need to to revisit that and actually have a proper strike on the ball. Uh, and get a quick channel one ball down the shoot to the number eight and then take it away against the bigger teams. Now, if you're playing against a team where you're comfortable, um, you can you can keep the ball to number eight's feet. Um, but if you're under pressure and that second shunt comes and suddenly you're spun off the ball like that, you can solve that by just being smarter tactically. And it does limit. If you're number eight's picking up the ball at every scrum, you know, you're playing England, um, it does limit your attack and possibilities because you, you have to launch different starter plays when number eight's picking up. Um, and your priority is to get the ball out there. But that's the reality. It's better to have that ball than not have it. It's better, not, better to have that ball than leave it in there and get shunted. So that that's fixable. But I, I think they could focus on that a bit more. It's, it's something they need to, to look into. Um, the line-out was very disappointing for me because at times they actually had the right, picked the right option. They got the jumper in the air. They got the ball near the jumper, and they still lost the line-out. So that precision of execution in the air um, that's very frustrating because there's a lot of moving parts on a line-out and line-outs can go wrong for lots of reasons. I know the hookers get the blame of that, which most of the time it's not their fault. You can see a crooked throw from a mile. But a lot of the time it's, that's a bad call and the hookers are thrown to a forest of jumpers. You know, that's not fair. Like that's, that, that means it's going to get picked off possibly. So they were actually quite good at times at that, but they, their movement on the ground at times is a bit slow as well. You know, like, so... It, but it's frustrating when you see that they get everything right, the throw is right, the call is right, the jump is right, and they still lose it. That, to me, like, is a, that's a gut punch. And particularly, as Fiona said, if you're in the kind of kill zone and that happens, like, that's an old jail car for the opposition. Like, there's nothing sweeter than the opposition to screw up a line out 10 metres from your line. You know, so, um, yeah, I, I, I think if they can sort out the set piece, what it's going to do is give them enough possession. And the good thing about having possession is the other team can score. So, like, that's a good starting point, you know. Um, but I, I think they may have to revisit their attack. I know they, they've talked about uh, Greg Williams likes the idea of throwing the ball around, and that's fine. But you've got to cut your cloth as well. Like, you know, you can ask players to write checks they can cash. So maybe you can play a certain way against Italy or Wales, I don't know. But when you play the bigger teams like France and England, they're going to put a lot more pressure on you with the ball in hand. And that's what we saw the skill set breaking down. So maybe when you're playing those teams, you've got to cut your cloud a bit tighter. You don't, you know, go for an, a game that's going to create a high amount of pressure on a, on, on a playmaker and they're going to get more pressure on the defense. So they probably need to do a bit of adjustment around what they're trying to get to. Like, it's all very fine to say, when I go, when I throw the ball around, um, that's fine if you, can, if you can do that. So I think at times they were guilty of trying to do things that were going to put them under too much pressure. The principle of what they're trying to do, there's nothing wrong with it, but you have to be able to execute it under pressure or else you make mistakes and the opposition thrive on it. So I think the area is the set piece to go tighten it up and their ambition with the ball in hand needs to be a little more clear-minded against the opposition they're playing. And I think, yeah, they have some good kickers on the field. They could put a bit more work into their strategy around their exits uh, or putting pressure on the opposition when they kick the ball away. So there are work-ons they have. Um, great chance in the summer to put that into action against Japan and, and let's see where that takes them. 
Yeah, and with those eggs as well, Eddie, I think they kind of tightened that up a little bit later in the tournament. Definitely at the start, I was screaming at the at the mm. TV, wondering why they were playing the ball like five metres out from their own line at times when they weren't even getting go forward ball or there wasn't space available. But I think they've kind of, I, I would imagine they set down because I saw that definitely improved towards the latter end of the tournament and it needed to. So they, they, they can still definitely get better in that, but it did improve. But to your point about exploiting the 50-22 more, they, you know, they could look at playing it through a couple of more phases and manipulate the back three a bit more and give give the kicker a better target where there's more grass to aim at. Like things like that can be helpful. You know, you may have to play a couple of phases just to manipulate the back three, but they have people who can kick the ball now. Particularly place kicking was really good in the weekend as well. But uh, if you've got to, like, it's like when I was coaching at Raj, we had somebody who could kick it onto a dime, you know, from 50 yards. We use that to our advantage an awful lot. And teams hate it because it's a it's a good punch to them. Every time they leave a space in the backfield, you ping it in there and they have to go back and collect the ball and you put the pressure on them. So, you know, there's more room there, I think. I'm not saying that I think I agree with you. They got better as a tournament jump. There's even more room there, I think, if they sit down and look at it, where they could cause more problems for teams. And particularly if you're playing a team like it's better than you, like France or England, and you're pinging them back into the backfield, it frustrates the hell out of them. You know, rather than, as you say, taking them on up front in your own half and getting the, the hell knocked out of you and you're under pressure. So there are the things that they're all possible to improve. They get a little more granular about what they're doing. I mean, you're on tour as well. You have more time together and you get really under the hood a bit more. So I'd be optimistic we'll see that, you know, uh, as, the, as the team progresses. And Fiona, just finally on the on the tournament as a whole, this was obviously the first year we had the the standalone window with the kind of traditional Six Nations fixtures. I know we had it last year, but with the the little split up competition. Is this format here to stay? Did you like it? Yeah, I really liked it. Um, I was unsure at the start, I've said before, but I, I really liked it. Um, you know, it's just there's so much rugby available now because I'm, I'm watching the 20s and the, and the men's Six Nations and there's a week off or whatever and then you go straight into the women's Six Nations again. But I think there's um, there was a lot more press coverage. Um, uh, you, you have a lot, you know, people are watching it a lot more. They're thinking, oh, okay, the women are on at the weekend, whereas sometimes you might find that the, the fixtures might overlap or you're not going to spend your whole Saturday watching the, tw- the 20s maybe the seniors and then the women so I, I think for rugby fans it was really good that it had its standalone window um sponsors coming on TikTok as well it re- was really out there we saw like you can't you could not go on Twitter or online and see clips of tries or or good chips or, or or whatever you wanted to see there was constant kind of coverage of it and I think it's really good um and I think going forward um with what maybe or if you will be doing I think they're looking at maybe looking at um going AI then you kick on to the Interpros and then you can kick on after Christmas and I think for the window of all that it fits in perfectly because it, it gives um the Interpros can now probably take place after Christmas whereas that couldn't happen before because they were in camp to train and then they can go on and play this and hopefully go on to, to summer tours and no, you've November windows and going forward you'll have that, um, that tournament as well that World 15 tournament so look I think it's perfect I, I know they've said that they will go ahead with it next year in the same format but um it was a big positive for me yeah. i agree with that too yeah i think that it was very hard for the women's game uh to run parallel with the the, the men's and you know 26 nations it got drowned out you know there's only so many so much column inches in the newspapers and there's so many areas uh, of space uh so i think yeah it, i wasn't sure when they did it because i thought maybe it might be drowned out by you know europe and 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 the, and the urc but no i think it held its own really well 
And as Fiona said, that the big plus there is once sponsors see that, that it's getting, it's punching at a certain level in terms of, of uh, coverage in the media, that will ha- make them invest. They're happy to invest. Because if you're a sponsor, your big fear is you sponsor something and nobody hears about it. You know, that's the whole thing wasted. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, I think that's worked. Um, and I think as well, there's a bit of a, it's kind of a, an opportunity for Blue Sky thinking in terms of the season. There's nothing to stop them. And I think that notion of going from club to provincial to international is really good because you can't do it in the men's game. You know, you're constantly swapping over and back between, you know, the province, the internationals and Europe. But they have an opportunity to structure a women's season. Maybe that makes more sense. Um, and I think that's good too. So, I, yeah, I, I, I think that's been a success for sure. Uh, and I think, again, the more coverage it gets, the more interest it generates, the more sponsorship will come on board. And that's more money in the coffers to, to uh, make it easier for players to play. Yeah, it certainly was. It was certainly a lot more visible anyway over the, over the last six, seven weeks. Uh, we're going to move on, though, on to the Heineken Champions Cup because we have two quarterfinals this weekend. We'll start with Munster and Toulouse. That game is live on RT Radio 1 this Saturday afternoon, 3 o'clock kickoff at the Aviva Stadium. And Eddie, I'll start with you. These sides obviously met in the last 16 in April 2021. Now, the Munster side from that day, Peter O'Mahony was out injured for that game, so he wasn't available. But Gavin Coombs, CJ Stander, Dave Kilcoyne and Tyg Byrne were all in the Munster pack from that day. And they couldn't get over the line against Toulouse. What, what is there to suggest they can do it this year without four players of that quality? Yeah, I think Munster actually are in a good place at the moment. Um, in terms of, you know, they've had their ups and downs this season, you know, and ins and outs, and they've been a fair bit of criticism at times. And I don't think... I don't think it was really unfair in general. You'll always get some bit of unfair criticism. But I think they're, they're uh, to start with, I felt that they were too one-dimensional. They were depending on winning penalties, getting into the corner, getting into the kill zone, and they're very good in there. Once teams kept them out of that space, they struggled to get good field position. That's improved. They're throwing the ball around a bit more. They've expanded their game, like which is weird because they've spent probably the best part of the three years not expanding their game. And, and just as their attack coach is leaving, they expand their game. So, you know, go figure. Um, but I think the big shift for me is that they've found a defensive shape now that's really comfortable for them. They were playing very aggressive up and in. Uh, Chris Farrell was struggling at 13 because um, they were playing really hard up and in and very aggressive off the line, which is kind of great fun when it's working because you're knocking people on their backsides behind the game line. But you saw Leinster tore them apart in Tone Park. They got around the corner multiple times. Then they went to Exeter and Exeter ripped them apart as well, except they survived Exeter. Exeter butchered a number of chances. And then we saw the change the following week in the Exeter game. They definitely did a job on the Exeter rock in Tone Park. That was brilliant because Exeter couldn't attack. But when Exeter did attack, they used a drift defence. That shut down Exeter. The following week, they shut down Ulster up in Ravenhill. They shut down Cardiff last weekend, although, you know, you don't get a you don't get a paper hat for that one. Cardiff are pretty abysmal. But... Having said that, I think they are more comfortable with the ball and, without, and, and in defence now. And Chris Farrell is much more comfortable at his job. So that means from Monster, they're going into the game going, look, we play well here, we have a shot. It's a knockout. Now, anyone would have, like, if you're putting the family silver on this, you're going to, it's very hard to put it on Monster, practically away from home. But I have to say that I feel that um, this is a good place for them to be. They're bubbling under nicely in the tournament. But still a tough ask. Like, Toulouse won't be intimidated coming to Dublin. They weren't intimidated in Raven Hill, and they have a lot of talent, and they don't need much 
just need one or two mistakes. We saw that Entomac just killed Ulster. They made two mistakes on the D and he was gone. And, and, and DuPont as well. So they've got to get a lot of other things right as well. They've got to defend really well. They've got to, if they're going to open up the game, they've got to be very accurate. But they've really got to do their homework on Toulouse, you know. Um, and they won't have the same energy and atmosphere they could draw to Thomond Park, whether you like it or not. It's a bigger stadium. It, it won't be as intense. And, and Toulouse won't be intimidated. So I'm not saying that they can't do it. I mean, it, it'd be a silly thing to say when you're dealing with Munster, but it's still an uphill battle for them. But um, just like to think on the day they might do it, but they'd have to get a lot of things right. This Toulouse team are, are not going to be you know, upset by a, by a, a, a low crowd or they're, they're not going to fall apart to their skill set. And they have some world-class players. So it's a tough one, but... Um, my heart, my heart says monster. My head says to lose. That'd be answer to you. Fiona, what do you think on the 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 home advantage or lack of that? I'm, I'm probably picking up off Eddie. Doesn't necessarily Eddie. I don't think you necessarily believe that they're gonna get that home advantage, even with like they've thirty plus thousand tickets sold at the moment. Uh, I imagine if we're talking, say there might be roughly thirty five thousand people there. There's a fair chance thirty-four thousand of them are going to be wearing red jerseys. You don't, you still don't think it's going to have that same, that same Thoman Park effect? Oh, it's definitely not going to have the Thoman Park effect. It's a cauldron. It's, it's, you know, you can hear the buzz. I, I, I've said before, I live literally over the wall in Thoman Park, and it's just like even if I, I'm always there. But if there was a chance that I was walking past, it's just, it's mental, and the players feed off that energy. I've gone to games in the Aviva, um, and Munster have played Leinster and stuff like that up there. Even Munster have had the time to play Saracens, and um, it's just the noise. It's a different noise. It's a different noise when you're out there as a player. Um, the fans obviously get behind them, but it's just so big. It's it's not really a cauldron. Um, the only thing is that we know that, and I think it's been acknowledged so much now. The fans know they've got to cheer extra hard. I'm going up. I'm going up myself to the game, and um, I think there's going to be, you know, they want to get behind this team. It's it's a quarter final. Um, Eddie's spot on. I think. Um. I think Munster are in a good place. Um, a lot of players have come into form. That's a that's a big thing for me. Um, you know, you hear you, Ty Byrne is out. I'm not too worried. I'm not too worried. Obviously, it's it's huge for Munster, but uh, I've been watching Jack O'Donoghue has been immense. You know, I, if you're looking at Ty in the back row, Kendellen is is playing really well, and you've got Peter O'Mahony, you've got Jenkins maybe on the bench, Witcherly Klein is having the best season I've ever seen him have in a, in a Munster jersey. So, you know, I'm not too worried killer as well. And we haven't, we haven't spoken like that from a Munster point of view going into teams before. If you think about that game of 20, all the talk about was Peter Romani was whoever was out or who was, who was missing for that game. Whereas now you're going into the game and the depth is there. And, you know, there's questions around who's going to start at scrum half maybe. And, you know, Ben Healy, we go Carberry's playing brilliant, but Ben Healy's another guy pushing. So there's, there's a lot of players being pushed and there's a lot of form being shown because of that. Yeah, let's talk about the scrum half one there, Eddie, actually. Fiona uh, alluded to it. Craig Casey has really come into his own the last few weeks. Now, Conor Murray isn't necessarily playing bad, but you do get the feeling Casey is starting to put a little bit of heat now on the on the back of Murray's neck. What way would, would you lean in general and maybe even specifically for this game? Um. Yeah, I can see the case for, for Craig Casey coming in because he just energizes the team. He's a different scrum half than, than um, Conor Murray in that he, he's he's kind of like a ball of energy uh, and he threatens the fringes and he's, he's barking at players and he's 
he just brings that buzz around the thing. And um, the players respond to him, and he, he, he's dangerous. I mean, he'll score tries as well. He'll give him a half chance, he's gone. And um, it would be interesting to see himself in the punt going at it, you know. Um, there'd be, be an interesting uh, exchange of energy there, let's put it that way. <laughs> but um, having said that, I think, you know, in a game of this calibre, I, I could see him leaning into Conor Murray to start. Yeah. Like, there's a difference coming up, like, if you're picking a team, there's a big difference between coming off the bench and energising a game, which Casey does really well, and starting a game where you're involved and you're, you're involved the team all week and you've got the build-up. Um, that's a different thing. So the notion that Craig Casey could come in and play like he does for the last 30 minutes, like he and start the game and play like that for, for, for 60 minutes, um, it's, it's hard to see. I, I think as well the experience factor. I, I do think Casey, for me, at times is a bit blinkered around the rock close to the line. There's a couple of times this year, Monster have had a couple of chances and he's taken it on himself and got and got eaten alive. Now, there's times he scored, but in a game like next Saturday, you might get one of those chances in 80 minutes that could change the game. And if he doesn't see the bigger picture around the rock, that maybe that chance dies. Where I think Murray is more composed and that's because of the way he plays and he's experienced. So on a balance, I could see it the status quo of saying I could see him I can see him starting with Murray and then you know rele- releasing um Casey into the game to energize it. I think the other way around there's risks that you don't need to take. That's just my opinion and I'm not that close but I'm just looking over the fence like everybody else, you know. Uh so the coaches will make their own decisions. So I'm always reticent about advising coaches on selection. I used to get lots of advice now when I was picking the team but <laughs> truth of the matter is is that the coaches are closest to it. So I, I preface all that. That's my, that's just my yeah. kind of take looking over the fence. Um, I, I, and it's a tough one because I see what Casey brings, but probably in the context of the game uh, and, and what's on the table, I, I think I see Murray starting to steady the ship uh, early in the game, you know, because his experience would be very important. It is something, Fiona, that does seem to work for them. The fact that Murray and Casey are actually just such different players that, depending on the kind of game you want to have or the, the type of style you want to implement on a day, you have two very, very contrasting options. And that obviously bodes well maybe over the course of a season as well. Yeah, and I think um, with Toulouse as well, I think the kicking game that Munster might be employing in that game, Murray will be best suited to that as well. Um, I watched last Saturday, I was I, I was watching it with my dad at home. Um, I wasn't down in Musgrave Park and he was going mad at Conor Murray roaring at the, the screen because it was so slow, you know, and and then and then we had Casey come on, he got his two tries and he sped everything up and, you know, he plays far more exciting rugby, but you can't play that type of rugby all the time and especially against this big Toulouse pack. So I, I think Murray is far more con- controlled. He's he's composed, and why not? Why not spark energy off the off the bench? 55, 56 minutes, and Casey comes on. There's less pressure on Casey as well, so he can come on and do that because he's not started. He has that freedom to come on and say, "I know what my role is now, and I've about 15, 20 minutes to to really impact this game." And I think it's been working for Munster so far because we've seen Murray lift his game at a level. You know, he's not necessarily playing bad, but everybody loves the exciting move the ball around quick, 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 but at times you do need to slow it down and sometimes you do need to kick the ball away. So I think it's it's working really well, Neela. And I think uh, Eddie has a spot on. I think they'll go with Murray, but I, I think we will see Casey get a lot more minutes in this game. Very good. And then just finally, Eddie, the, I suppose the, the million dollar question on it is, and if anyone has the actual answer to it, uh, be the greatest coach in the world, how on earth do you, do you stop Antoine Dupont and Roman Entomac or do you just have to try manage their influence rather than stop them? 
Well, they're going to have the ball. There's no question. They're two halfbacks, so they're going to have a possession in their hands. The key for me around two really good halfbacks is diligence when they have the ball. Like, you've got to defend around the breakdown and particularly inside and on the 10. So your, your fringe defence uh, has got to be spot on. Now, the challenge is if Munster stick with their drift defence at the moment, which is working for them, you have to leave a little more space with the second and third defender. Because, you know, if you put pack four defenders inside their first receiver, inside, if you pack four defenders in around uh, the rock to defend against DuPont and Entomac, you, that's much easier to defend those two guys with four defenders inside your, you know, from Joy Carberry in. We say include Joy Carberry, plus three others. It's much easier to defend that space, but you're going to have, a, you're going to have acres of ground out wide. And that's where, like, you can get in all sorts of trouble against this crew. So if you're going to use a drift defense, you're going to have to give up some space around the breakdown. And it's, it's very doable. I'm not saying this is like an either or. You can do that, but that space between the second and third defender, um, and given the danger to those two halfbacks, you then must be incredibly diligent, incredibly clear-minded. And it's not enough to be clear-minded for the first three rocks or the fourth rock. You have to be clear-minded on the seventh and eighth rock because there's no point in defending the first six rocks and the seventh rock the point goes through and scores. You know, you might as well let them score off the first rock and save all the hassle. So, like, my point is that diligence that you've got, you've got to bring that diligence to every rock, whether it's the first rock, the 10th rock, or the 15th rock. And that's all it's about. So, they'll be, I'm not sure what the, I expect they'll stay with the drift defence because it's worked for them. And it means that Chris Farrell has, has a much easier task on the outside channels. But they will have to be really careful because they pack another defender inside the first receiver they're going to be very skinny or wide. So if they, take, if they push that defender out between the first and second receiver, the diligence around the rock for DuPont and Entomac has to be insanely accurate for every rock. That's the challenge. Now, if you do a good job around the breakdown with your positions and your decision-making and your, your, your use of, of your defenders, these guys, they have as many bones in the backside as we have. So, you know, it's still about making good decisions and tackling them. And they're physically strong, particularly DuPont, but it's all doable. But I would suspect there'll be a, a lot of work done this week in Munster around how they're going to defend that space around the rock between 9 and 10. And get that right, then everything's on from there. But if you screw up there, you're going to pay a big price. And you don't have to screw up once or twice. We saw Ulster do it and they you know, turn the game on its head. So, yeah, it's a big, that's the thing. It's a massive challenge. But look, it's a, it's a European quarterfinal. <laughs> You know, it's supposed to be a challenge. So there you go. Eddie's got it. Eddie's got it there now. He's mailed. Good man, Eddie. I think as well, though, Eddie, uh, do you know the way they played against Exeter? Like the rock, they really tried to slow down that ball. Yeah. You, do, you don't want to be giving DuPont that ball on a plate. You know, we saw no, at no. times he was frustrated against Ulster when they done it at times. So I think if they can get that right, exactly like That's you a said, very good point. Yeah, that's a very good point. That's a good, that's a great starting point if you can slow down the rock and get a couple of poaches. That's why they unhinged Exeter in, in, in Limerick. I think got nine poaches, which is insane. And they have some really good guys. Now, that's where maybe Ty Byrne is going to hurt, maybe not having Byrne. But look, they have other guys as well that can do that. But Fiona's bang on there that if you can stop it at source, but I, I think you can't do that at every rock. No. You know, you've got to accept that Toulouse are going to get some quick rock ball at some point. Um, and and uh, you've got to prepare to defend those those channels around the rock. But yeah, I, 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 it's a, that's a great point. If you can start, you know, the first place to start defending to lose is at the rock and picking your moment when to go after and slow the ball. 
and not wasting defenders in a rock that you're not going to win or you're not going to impact the speed of. That's a good. That's that's a that's kind of ground zero if you think about it in terms of defending them. But um, they still are going to get some good rock ball. It's a fact of life, you know. So that's Munster and Toulouse. That is three o'clock on Saturday afternoon at the Aviva Stadium. Following that, at half past five, it is the Leicester Tigers against Leinster at Welford Road, a repeat of the 2009 final. And Fiona, when you look at what Leinster have done over the last couple of weeks, sending that shadow squad over to South Africa, keeping back all the internationals to essentially have a little mini training camp on their own with Stuart Lancaster over the, the course of the last couple of weeks. They've James Ryan coming back to fitness. They've Ronan Kelleher who got an injury scare over in South Africa. He's fit and raring to go as well. They've pretty much got a full-strength squad to choose from. They've had a couple of weeks off to rest and prepare for the game. There's absolutely no excuses from a Leinster point of view not to be there and be sharp on Saturday evening. No, I, I think they're going to be. Uh, I think they're going to be on fire on Saturday evening. They've been waiting for this game. Um, they earned the right to send that squad over, you know, because they, they got guys game time. They were able to rest some of the big names. Um, a lot of these Leinster guys had a really, really good Six Nations, and they're probably they're rested now and they're raring to get to go again. Um, obviously Leicester are at home and they're very hard to beat over at Welford Road. We, we know that we know what they can bring. Um, you've said it, there's a, a contrast in styles. Um, we know that Leicester pack. I mean, you've got Ellis Gange is probably playing great rugby at the minute. Jasper Visa, we know what he can offer. So there is a very, very powerful pack and they have big packs have dented Leinster in, in the past, but I, I, I think they've worked really, really hard in that. And I'm sure they've with Stuart Lancaster in particular, I'm sure they focused on, that area and they will they will be um going over very confident I would imagine going over to Leicester good side Leicester and really good backline attack as well you know you've got Freddie Stewart there's a Dan Kelly is another guy who's been playing really really well for him doesn't get the accolades a lot of the time but he's been immense in the center but I think this this Leicester team are focused and they know they want to win this and I think this could be their year as well Eddie, does the clash of styles of, of game plans make this one even more interesting? Because they're obviously two very, very good and very, very effective teams, but they play very, very different brands of rugby. And it's that old styles make fights uh, adage. I, I probably get hammered for saying this, but I think we're giving Leicester too much credit here. You know, they're a very good team, no question. But I, I'd, be, I'd be shocked if, if, Leicester, if, if Leicester don't beat them on the weekend. Um, I think Leinster, as Fiona says, have really are locked and loaded at the moment. Um, they've managed their resources brilliantly. Like they, I know they've lost their last two URC matches down in South Africa, but they sent a shadow squad down there. They didn't even send their coaches. They took a they took a, a risk that they pick up that that you know bonus point that would get them secure the top table from. They did that. Um, but I, I think they they when you think about it, they've lost their last two games. So. They've only lost, apart from those, they've lost three of 15 games all season and they've rotated the hell out of their squad. They've used more players than to be. So they're, they're in a great place. This has been planned along the way. Now, I'm not taking away from Leicester. They're a good team. They're a top of the gallery premiership. But let's not forget, that kind of scared the pants off when they were in the, in the European Cup. Like in, in, in Welford Road, the final score was 29-23, six points. And then the score in, in the sports ground was 28-29. So like... You know, Leicester are a good team, but we shouldn't kind of make them out that they I, I think Leinster are just a better a better side. There's more strengths to their bow. They're not Leinster aren't going to get bullied up front. Don't be cotton, you know. If anyone says that, just cotton yourself. Like 
look at the look at the Leinster pack. Like, there's no way Leinster, that Leinster pack is effectively an Irish pack by and large. There's no, they aren't going to get pushed on well for road. And look at the the backs of it. Like it's just a really really good team. They're arguably one of the best teams in Europe. I know Toulouse might have something to say about that uh, if they get past Munster. But my view is that we're probably talking Leicester up a bit. Um, I don't see the evidence in Europe that Leicester are, are as good as we make them out to be. And Connacht really could have, you know, had them twice in, in Welford Road and certainly in the sports ground. So for that reason, I, I'm I'm very optimistic about, about Leinster winning in, in Leicester. I, I think if, if if they lose in Welford Road, uh, Leinster, they'll be devastated because it would unhinge potential of a huge season for them. So I, I, uh, despite all what Leicester brings to the table, I just think Leinster have have too much have too much firepower, whether it's up front or in the back line. So I, I'm more relaxed about this, I think, than maybe a lot of people are. But uh, I think Le- it's what it's Leinster's game to lose. Actually, if they play the part, they're going to win. What do you make of that, Fiona? <laughs> Eddie's no, he's dead right. I think you can't you can't look past this Leinster squad that's there at the minute. They're just so solid. Um, all areas. The the bench that comes on could probably start in a lot of other provinces, you know, in a lot of other teams. So you have that firepower on the bench. You've massive competition in the team. They've been rested. Ireland have had you know that one what a really good Six Nations. Um, and a lot of the players have performed. And that Josh Van der Fleer has been someone who's been immense. You know the whole front row has been immense we're talking about that Dan Sheehan Kelleher um, you know those two guys are, are, are chomping at the bit to be starting for Leinster and starting for Ireland so I think they're just really good I I think even the game plan, even over in South Africa, watching the guys that were out there, you know, were really, really good. The style of rugby that, they, that they're learning up in Leinster is exciting to watch. And, you know, I know Leicester have, you know, you've got Youngs, they've four, the big kick in game. We know what they, they like to do with that. And they, they'll, they'll try and hit it down the throat of Yoga Keenan, but he's been immense all season. So I, I think Leinster will be big winners. I think Eddie's spot on with that. Is your assessment of that, Eddie, is it more a reflection of where Leinster are rather than where Leicester are? Oh, absolutely. Like, Leicester are top of, of the Gallagher Premiership, so I'm not taking that away from that. They're a very, very good team, but if you look at it, if you line up the two starting 15s, uh, you know, and you pick the best 15 of that, I think Leicester, Le- Le- Leinster get most of that, you know? Like, who would you, who would you swap over Leicester for Leinster, you know? I don't think you'd make that. too many swaps really. Like it's just they've, they've quality across the, the 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 team the whole way, you know. So that's it's just that's just the facts. Like I I would take that's why I take uh, Leinster or Leicester at the moment any day. I think it, it's it's still a game. You've got to go and play away from home, and you can screw it up. You know, you get a red card at the wrong time, or a yellow card at the wrong time, or you throw an intercept pass, or the lineup misfires, or they get an edge in the scrum you didn't expect and the referee sides with them. You know, there's there's a myriad of things can happen to unhinge your game plan. But as it sits without any curveball, like I think Leinster just a better team and I think they should win it reasonably comfortably. Maybe, you know, it's not going to be a blow, but they should probably win it by, by 10 or 15 points maybe at the end. And I just think they have the firepower to do it. And they've been, they've been planning for this. Like, it's not like, oh, they sat down last weekend and said, we're back to South Africa. How are we going to play Leicester? They've been planning the Leicester game for like three weeks. Because the, the players have been home to do it, you know. Like it, it's it, to me, it's it's for Leicester, it's for for Leinster to screw it up, like you know. And that's what Leicester are probably hoping, but you know, we'll see. 
Yeah, would, would there be any wariness, though, about the fact that we've seen Leinster in this situation a couple of times in the last few years? Like La Rochelle last, uh, last year in the semi-final, like Saracens the year before in, in the oh, quarter. Yeah. But, you know, sure, I'm not, I'm not saying it's like, are we not saying it's nailed on. Yeah. They haven't been able to deliver. <clears throat> yeah, there's still a four European Cups, though, you know, to their name. Like, you can't, like, traditionally, they, 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 they're going to, it's going to stick again. But you tell me a year where it's, they haven't lined up the best possible way to do it. You know, they, I don't think there's any box unticked or anything left to chance as you as much as you can in their game of rugby. Now, don't get me wrong. As I said, things can go wrong on the day, for sure. Uh, but, you know, bar something going wrong for Leinster, I, I can't see them losing it. I'd really be shocked if they lose it. And if they do, it'll probably be down to, down to something that they, they let get away from. And I think they've just been plotting this for a while now. I said, they, did, they weren't... They weren't flying home from South Africa wondering what's, what's, what we're we going to attack Leicester. They've been, they've been picking Leicester apart for probably the last three or four weeks. You know, so, like, you know, they're good enough when you give them one week to prepare. They've got to be, they're going to be really good when you give them three weeks to prepare, you know. One area they probably might have to have a look at as well, and it's it's refereeing-wise, the interpretation of the scrum. We saw Gange, we know, you know, against and Furlong or whatever there, but so they, they probably would have uh, uh, showed clips and gone through all that as well. But sometimes when it comes to interpretation, that's scrum time by a referee and you can get a bit flustered, that can interfere in the game as well. So I'm sure they'll be nailed on with that, but it's, it's definitely an area they'll have to watch because we know that they can do damage definitely that Leicester front row. I hope I won't be crying on crime on crying on the next podcast. I got wrong, I got it. We we won't we won't ask, we won't ask you back next week. We won't ask you back next week. <laughs> You're asking me to call it. But I'm just going to what you see. You know, I I, I just really think it's uh, I'd be surprised if they lose. I really would. Given what as we said, the firepower they have and the team they're playing, like Connacht nearly did it. So you know, you think Leinster Le- Le- a really good chance of doing it. So um, there's. I'm sensing anyway. It's two two Leinster picks there anyway in in one quarter final. Who are Leinster going to be playing in the in the semi final? They're going to be playing Munster or Toulouse in a ve- in a very very short word. If you're asking me, I, I as I said, my heart's Munster, my head says Toulouse. You know. <laughs> Fiona, I know you're going heart all day. You're going heart, heart all, all day long, always, always. As I said, I'm going up. I think my voice will be heard. I'll spur him on. I'm going to say Munster will uh, do will do it, uh, the business up in the Aviva. All right. Well, that's uh, that's all we have time for on that. Before we finish up, I do want to bring up all our uh, Energy AL final was on Sunday. Clontarf worthy winners. Uh, an excellent victory against Terenure. It was an excellent game, I have to say. I was there at the Aviva Stadium and I'll show my allegiances now. I was in amongst the the purple, black, and white supporters. I was in amongst the Terranior crowd. I played a little bit of junior stuff with them, but it was a fantastic occasion. It was a great game, and Eddie, I think an absolutely brilliant advertisement for for the club game in Ireland. Well, I've been saying this for years. The AIL is is fantastic product, particularly I've covered a few of the games at RT, um, and they've always been fantastic games of rugby. Like and going back over the years, I mean, we saw. I remember it was Joey Carberry burst on the scene for Clontarf when they won the IL that time. Like Joey was kind of they were talking about him as, as if the future, and suddenly he lit up that game. And some of these guys do come through, and some of them have been through and didn't make, and other guys are just you know club players and they're committed to the club. So, but the product itself, it's always a great game of rugby. It's always exciting. 
Um, it's a great day out, and it's unfortunate, I suppose, with so much rugby available now on television and, and in the media that DIA gets pushed aside, you know. But it is still a great product, and I, I thought, again, it didn't disappoint last weekend. I really enjoyed it. And it was right there, right up to the death. You thought maybe Turner were going to do it. You know, they had a few chances, and it just went awry in them. But uh, credible credit, you went, and Clontarf, to be fair, missing a few players were down in South Africa with Leinster, who, if they weren't in South Africa, might have been trotting out for Leinster for, for uh for uh, Clontarf, but look, great game, great products. Like it's a great tournament. I just, I, I just think it's a great day out. Yeah, and it was, it was an excellent crowd there as well, just short of six thousand, which found it like it was the, the largest crowd they've had since they brought the final back to the Aviva Stadium there uh, seven or eight years ago. Yeah, you could see the, I, I was not, I saw it on telly, you could see the atmosphere, you know, um, obviously wasn't huge, but Eddie's, Eddie's bang on, it's, it, this is the perfect product, I, I've gone out and I watch games all, all season, my brother's a, a Shannon man, unfortunately, my mother's uh, born in the Yellow Road, so she's young monster, so there's a, there's a, sometimes the crossovers in the house, but look, um, and I played with Boz, so that's another story altogether, <laughs> but, um, but look, it's, it's like the, the level, and this year I just thought was so good as well, you know, you had the guys obviously unexpectedly because there was no BNI Cup or whatever. You had the guys in playing, and you could you could go out and you could watch Jake Flannery for Shannon for Shannon. You could see some of the Leinster Academy guys up with um Trinity and and with Clantarf as well. So the standard is just was brought up to a level, and and I I I it's exciting to be able to go out and see these guys as young guys playing. You spoke about Joey Carberry and see if they can kick on in, in their career. Um, I, I think it's brilliant for the game. Um, I've, I've chatted about this with, with Kazi in the academy, you know, before in Munster. Like the, these guys love going back playing with their clubs as well. And it, it's great that they're released, but it, it just shows the standard of rugby, what we saw on on Sunday's game. It was excellent. Um, the, the front rows were brilliant. The scrummage in the set piece, everything was really, really precise. And as you said, Tariff had lost a few guys, but they were still able to have the same level of, of aggression uh, around the pitch. And it was just a great game to watch. Yeah, and just as well, Eddie, like what it means for, for clubs as well. Like I, I could say I was there, you know, I was down in Terranure in the clubhouse in Lakelands afterwards. And like the party, God only knows what it would have been like down there if that actually <laughs> Because it was, it was mayhem down there. They had a massive market. Yeah. It was just an absolutely fantastic occasion. I probably walked out of there at about 10 past, quarter past midnight. There was probably still the guts of a thousand people down there. I mean, it was absolutely jammed. And, and you know, that's, it, God knows what that's done for the club. For the well, that's the point, you know. And, like, and you have to remember that um, Terran Yor have come the journey and it's taken, what, six, seven years, really. They were at the bottom of the pile there for a number of years. They were struggling. And they found a way of putting it together, you know, and they've come come strong. And and you see that like other clubs come and they fade away and they come back. And Shannon are back in Division One, mm. you know, after being in Division One and getting relegated and coming back again. So look, it's the club game in Ireland is very vibrant. And I guess for people who don't follow club rugby, because most of the people who follow, you know, the professional game don't have a connection with a club. In, in the old days, you had a club and you your yeah. you, you club your province and in Ireland, that's gone. And that's just the way it is. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, um, but a lot of people who follow Leinster or Monster may not be directly connected to the club. Uh, but what that club whole that club environment has gone under the radar in lots of ways, you know, and that's brilliant because those clubs energize the community as well. And all those clubs as well are putting in Trojan work at mini rugby and underage as well. You know, so there's a lot going on, and it's just a pity that it doesn't get more airtime, you know, but it's just the fact of life that you know the professional game gobbles up all, all the space. 
But I still think that, you know, club rugby in Ireland is in rude health, despite all the challenges it's had. You know, um, so for me, like, it, it's, it's just making people aware of it. And we'd be no harm for people who don't maybe necessarily are going to a Leinster or a Munster game to go to a club match nearby them on a Saturday afternoon and just take it in. Like, it's, it's a fantastic uh, day out. Uh, and there's no pressure and it's very relaxed and bring, bring the family. It's a family day out. Yeah, 100%. So uh, congratulations to Clontarf and congrats to, to all those winners as well on Saturday. It's hard well. for you to say that, I know. I know, yeah. But look, I know they were worthy winners. They lost one game over the course of a, yeah. of an 18-match regular season in yeah. the semi-finals and finals. Well. Uh, I know, just a little short your mind, so. <laughs> Certainly worthy winners. And congrats as well to all the other clubs who were victorious on, on Saturday in the various promotion and relegation playoffs as well. And uh, very best of luck next season. But that's all we have time for on the RT Rugby Podcast. A reminder, Munster against Toulouse is the live match on RT Radio 1 this Saturday afternoon quarterfinal of the Heineken Champions Cup. 3 p.m. kickoff. And uh, until then, until next week from the RT Rugby Podcast, we'll see you then. The RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com.